Hello, and welcome to the Harassment Free Workplace Podcast. I'm April Turow of Navigating Integrity Associates. This podcast is for CEOs and HR professionals of small and medium-sized businesses to learn practical suggestions that can be used right away to address harassment in the workplace. We are committed to creating workplaces that work for everyone. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harassment Free Workplace Podcast. My name is April Tarot, and I'm so excited to have Catherine Manning here today. Let me introduce you to Catherine Manning. Catherine Manning is the president of Blackbird, which provides training and consultation on issues of trauma and victimization, and the author of The Empathetic Workplace, Five Steps to a Compassionate, Calm, and Confident Response to Trauma on the Job. As a senior attorney advisor with the Justice Department, for 15 years, Catherine guided the department through its response to victims in cases like the Boston Marathon bombing, Bernie Madoff, and the violence in Charlottesville. She has been an advocate, counselor, and legal advisor for victims for more than 25 years. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited that you're here. I just, uh, The Empathetic Workplace, what a great title for a book. Can you tell me more about, okay, what's your book about? Tell me more about trauma. How did you come here? Sure, absolutely. So my own background is I came from a family where there was a family history of domestic violence. And fortunately for me, my mother was able to get out and I grew up in a safe household. But basically, as soon as I left home, I started working at domestic violence shelters on hotlines. And then that moved on to rape crisis centers and that kind of work. And eventually I ended up at the Justice Department. So I was at the U.S. Department of Justice for about 15 years. And while I was there, I was kind of the victim rights person, you know, Mm -hmm. so I would advise on policy issues around how the department works with crime victims. And that can be anything from um, child exploitation victims to terrorism victims, fraud victims, kind of everything under the sun. And one of the things that I realized through that work was that when we are going through a a traumatic event, we kind of all need the same things. And so I would find it was the same kind of support that I would give to a victim of domestic violence as I would to an identity theft victim. Um, And in fact, it was the same kind of support I would give when a coworker would come storming into my office because of the way he was just spoken to in a meeting. you know, or another coworker is concerned that maybe her ex-boyfriend is possibly stalking her. And so what should she do? Mm -hmm. So I found it was the exact same skills again and again that were um, being implemented. And in 2018, um, when we saw Me Too kind of Mm -hmm. shoot across the culture, I realized that there were a lot of different organizations that were struggling with some of these same questions. And one of the things about Me Too is I felt like it did a phenomenal job of telling survivors that it is okay to share their stories, but a less good job at teaching the rest of us how to hear those stories. It's so true. I hear it all the time, especially in the work that I do of when I'm interviewing the complainant, they're like, they had no idea what to do when I came to them. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) okay, good to know. So it's a, it's a big missing of like, how, how do you deal with it when somebody's coming to you with a complaint or I've experienced trauma or, you know, something like that. 
Yeah. And I know that it's not easy. I mean, that was one of the things that is also very clear to me from my work with victims. I mean, I've heard some horrifying stories. I can imagine. Yeah. And I know how hard it is to sit there and stay present for that. And some of that um, is really because of things beyond our control. I mean, there is a a natural empathetic response, you know, that um, is just kind of hardwired into us. And what that means is um, when I'm interacting with somebody, I start to kind of catch a little bit the feelings that they feel. So um, for instance, you know, if I'm, if I'm at a party and I see somebody across the room who starts laughing really, really hard, I will start to smile or maybe even laugh myself, even if I have no idea what they're laughing about. It's just, it's kind of contagious, right? Um, In the same way, if I'm sitting at home and I'm watching a football game or a hockey game, you know, for you Canadians and somebody... (laughs) somebody gets hit really hard, I kind of wince, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sitting there safe and sound on my couch, but I still I feel that hit, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing when we're talking to somebody who is in trauma, or somebody who's really angry, we get that same kind of adrenaline rush, that same kind of stirring up of emotions that they're feeling. And that makes us want to just Lee, right? That's that fight or flight reflex. Mm-hmm. I just want to get out of there as quickly as possible. It's just, it is hardwired. It's not anything I can get rid of. And so that's one of the things in the book is helping people understand both that it's a, a normal human reaction. It means you're an empathetic person, that you have that reaction, but also it's not helpful in that moment. And so what should we be doing instead to manage our response? You know, what are the things we can do to manage our response? And then also, how do we support this person who's having a difficult time right now? Mm -hmm. Most definitely. And it's what I hear from, because of course, I'm being hired by the employer. And so they're usually the one that has the complaint, and they don't want the complaint. And they're like, just how do we get rid of this? How do we get rid of this? And I'm like, no, this is actually a good thing. Like, it's a good thing that has been brought forward so that you can now heal it and address it and, and deal with that. So to be able to give people those skills to be able to give CEOs and HR people those skills of how to actually be with people in their trauma is so, so important. So thank you for the book. It sounds awesome. Um, and how, how do you feel that trauma affects the workplace? Um, well, I guess a few things to recognize. Um, first off, that trauma is already in your workplace. It's not, um, it's not limited to like workplace violence or something like that, where it's this big kind of noticeable thing. Um, We are all the time working with people who are experiencing trauma. I recently heard an expert say that she believes that between 40 and 50% of our population is walking around with unaddressed trauma all the time. I'd say that's a lower, a low number. I'd say it's definitely higher than that. Even just, I mean, living in COVID, Mm-hmm. Like this has been traumatic for so many people. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that right now trauma is the tea we are all steeping in. <laughs> it is around <laughs> us all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, the reality is it affects our ability to work, right? It affects our productivity. It affects our absenteeism. Mm-hmm. It affects our creativity. It affects our um our communication skills, mm-hmm. our ability to interact with each other. Um, so it's affecting us all the time. And I mean, there are a million stats on this. You can, 
I can definitely go through some of them if you'd like. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one is that almost 40% of women have been sexually harassed at work. Mm. Um, and for those women, they are six and a half times more likely to leave their jobs. Wow. Um, which is a cost to the employer. That's actually the highest cost to the employer. Um, much higher than litigation costs is the cost of having to replace people who have left because of sexual harassment. Um, so if you as an employer take the ostrich approach, like I don't want to hear about sexual harassment, um, you're going to end up suffering for it. And, and it's these quiet effects, right? That people, they just leave and you don't even know why they left, right? Mm -hmm. Or people's productivity suffers and they're, they're absent from work and you're not really sure why. Mm -hmm. um, so that you have these quiet effects that are already taking place, but then you can get the, the noisier effects, right? The investigation, the lawsuit, the headlines. Mm -hmm. So you can have these very, very loud effects, mm -hmm. but if, you can catch it during the quieter period, right? When it's it's only affecting people's productivity and absenteeism. Um, if you can catch it in those moments, you are much more likely to head off the the complaint, the lawsuit, the the louder effects. Absolutely. And also just nurturing that culture, right? Like nurturing the culture where it's okay to come forward and talk about trauma. Your trauma is safe here. It's okay to talk about it. Let's talk about it so we can address it. Make sure you have the resources you need. That is a beautiful work environment that's going to, you know, lead to more innovation and more creativity than somewhere where I'm not allowed to talk about those things. And it, it really is a, a huge culture shift. Like it's before, like that's personal life. I don't want to know about it. And now we're trying to like shift that culture to be, no, it's okay okay to talk about how your trauma is affecting your work right so um yeah such great important work you're doing thank you I, i'm i'm looking forward to seeing the book when it comes out <laughs> thank you thank you and i think you're 100 percent right on that um it's the the culture that you're creating i was mm -hmm. talking with a friend recently um she was at bp the oil company um and was a, a lawyer there, a litigator um, after the BP oil spill, which was just this really horrific event um, and led to a lot of litigation. So there was, you know, criminal, there was a lot of civil suits, there was investigations. Um, and the, the man who was her boss, who was the head of all litigation at BP at the time. So very, very stressful job, right? Mm -hmm. um, but he also knew that um, the culture he created there was um, essential to the work that they were doing. And so he introduced them to this concept of the danger of a single story. It's based on a TED talk. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea is, you know, if, uh, if we know just one fact about somebody like, oh, this is um, a, a white liberal woman from a big city, right? Um, you know already, you have all of these assumptions that you've made about that person, right? Um, but in reality, there are a whole lot more, <laughs> there's a whole lot more to that person than just whatever you, you've laid upon them based mm -hmm. only on this one fact. And so um, he invited every person on his team at a staff meeting to share whatever it is that they wanted to share about themselves. Mm. And so people talked about, and he went first, right? So he shared his own background and story and then invited each person around the table to share their stories. And people shared stories about being the child of immigrants, about losing loved ones, about their spirituality. And he 
took this time. I mean, it's amazing to me that in the middle of the chaos, I can't even imagine, of the litigation around the BP oil spill, he prioritized this opening up of their own personal stories. And it was such a powerful way of showing that um, you matter to us, right? Mm-hmm. You, are, it, you are not just the output that you can create. You as a full person are important to me mm-hmm. um, as the leader of this team. And, and I think it's... Um, such a wonderful way of showing that it's okay to bring your full self to work, that you are, you are valued here. Mm, most definitely. Oh, it's so good to hear this. It's it, opening up and sharing our humanity is what pulls us together. And when we feel safe and we feel together as part of the team, there's no stopping us, right? Like that's where you're going to get the most amazing success. That's where you're going to get innovation and creativity and all of that's going to flow when people feel really safe. So totally. yeah, my friend, I was like, how did that make you feel about him? And she goes, I would walk through fire for that man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you want that loyalty, right? Like, yeah, oh, it's so great. So one thing that I always do with my, in my episodes is I ask people to give me three things that our listeners who are, you know, HR professionals and employers and CEOs, what can they do in their workplace right now? So three things that they can do in their workplace right now that will help decrease, hopefully decrease harassment in the workplace. So give me your first one. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think uh, one of the things that is really important is, Um, how you talk about it. I think people often think that um, the best way to talk about harassment is that it is, um, it's just, it's a really bad thing. And everybody needs to understand that it's a bad thing. And I really think that we have to speak to people's self-interest. And so understanding, you know, those stats about like, you're losing money, people are walking out the door right now. And, you know, there are a lot of other costs to sexual harassment too. There was a study that found that teams with sexual harassment lose an average in, in productivity a loss of $27,000 per team member. Wow. So everybody on the team, not not just the harasser and the harassed, but $27,000 per team member in lost productivity when there's sexual harassment on the team. And the reason for that is going to be very clear to anybody who's ever been on a team with sexual harassment. And that's because there is suddenly all this fear and gossip and like, well, why, why did you know, she not get invited on that trip or why did she get invited on that trip and what's going on there? And, you know, how come this assignment went to this person and not to this other person? And, Mm -hmm. you know, when all of those conversations are happening, what's not happening? Work, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? We're not getting the job done. Um, Also, I mean, race, of course, also plays a, a, a important part here. And one in four black women has experienced bias in the workplace. And those who have experienced bias are, are three times more likely to be disengaged at work, three times more likely to be planning to quit and two and a half times more likely to withhold their ideas and solutions at work. And so we are seeing um, the effect in terms of our ability to function as a team. If people are withholding their ideas because they don't think they're gonna be listened to, we're not getting the full productivity of that team. Most definitely. Yeah, and bias is not only in um, race or gender or sexual orientation. You know, I was talking with somebody who had recently taken over as the head of a team, right? A team that was pre-existing and she came in And the guy that she was replacing was somebody who was a really, really good athlete who really prioritized um, his physical health. And he not only prioritized it for himself, but he kind of thought that 
those who were in good physical shape were also probably just like better, you know, like <laughs> better, smarter, more productive in general. And so um, there was a woman on the team who was heavy set, and he didn't really um, listen to her very much. Mm -hmm. Like she would express um, opinions and things, and he just kind of would um, shut her down you know, mm -hmm. and she started to volunteer things less often, of course, you know, mm -hmm. if you feel like nobody's going to listen to me, why would I bother? And then my friend at, oh, and this woman was about to quit. She was about to leave because she thought, you know, I'm really not adding anything. I'm not contributing. So why mm -hmm. would I be here? And then my friend took over and she didn't have that bias. And she realized very quickly that this woman was smart, hardworking, and had phenomenal judgment. Mm -hmm. And within a month, she had made this woman her deputy, like the number two in, in the office. Um, and so, you know, we really are losing out when we're not getting the full benefit of everybody on the team. And, mm -hmm. and so I think it's important. Step one is just to understand the effect of harassment and bias. It affects all of us and our ability to be a strong functioning team. It, uh, so good. Cause I mean, talking to the CEO, I talked to HR people and I'm like, I just wish my CEO would understand it. And it's like, these are the kind of stats you've got to take to your CEO to say, look, this is, this is the bottom line. This is the dollars that are being affected. There's one study that I looked at that 80% of harassment complaints go completely unreported. So if you don't think harassment's happening in your place, mm, try again. It is happening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. even if you think you have the most amazing place, it. Mm, I bet you there could be something going on. And of course, obviously, the bigger the team, the more likely it's to happen and stay quiet, right? Mm -hmm. So, and and one thing I remember talking about, I think it was a previous episode, is that the bully is really hard to see from the top down because the bully is presenting very well to the top because their jobs on the line. So it's like, how do you? as the person who's at the top, how do you find that bully? So um, yeah, or the person who's sexually harassing or, or that sort of thing, because it's hard to see it at the top. So it's important to get down and really find out where that's coming from. So just getting that there's a good chance it could be happening is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And that would really be my, um, my advice number two mm -hmm. um, is on how to flesh out those flesh out those stories, how to get people to come forward. Mm -hmm when they are experiencing uh, harassment. And to me, one of the most important things to do is make sure that we respond well when it does, when somebody does come forward. Yes. Because every, for every one person who comes forward, you can bet there are many more who have not chosen to speak up and they are watching very, very closely. <laughs> it takes so much courage to come forward and so when they do come forward, you got to handle it right. I have been brought in so many times because it was handled poorly. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, somebody complains and they try to shove it under the rug and they get nothing. And so then they escalate it. And then, you know, then I'm being brought in for a formal investigation. So let's do it right the first time. Right. So yeah. if, if somebody's coming in with a complaint, be that space. So how, like, tell me, I know you talk about it in your book, you have a method of, what do people need to do? So somebody's coming into my office, it's clear they've got a complaint or they're being harassed or they're talking to me about trauma that they're going through. How do I handle that? Yeah. So I actually, in part, I think because I'm a government person and this is uh, the way I think is in acronyms. And also I think um, 
it's it's helpful to have an acronym because when that you start to catch that adrenaline you know that <laughs> you get the effect of trauma is is on you as well it's mm-hmm. good to have something to hold on to so I, I came up with an acronym of the five things we should do when somebody comes to us with a story of trauma to not make it worse hopefully make it better and not get our organization in trouble mm-hmm. and so those are step one listen Mm-hmm. And so the book goes into this in greater detail on how to how to listen in an active way um, and how to maintain our own equilibrium as we're hearing a difficult story. So um, step one is listen. Step two is acknowledge. You know, and often I think um, when things go off the rails, it tends to be because of a, a challenge with acknowledgement. Um, when somebody finishes talking, we often want to jump to here's the solution. Here's this idea I had on this thing you said, we just have to take a second, just a moment to say, thank you for sharing that. I hear you. That sounds really hard. That sounds awful. And so in the book, I go through, you know, what are some things that are good to say? What are some things that can be hard for people to hear in that moment and phrases that we should try to avoid if we can Mm -hmm. listen, acknowledge, share information. And this really comes from my uh, victim work is um, one of the things that I saw that when somebody is going through a traumatic experience, um, they feel so out of control you know, I I didn't do anything wrong. And suddenly my business got shut down because of COVID or, you know, I was just, I was just driving home um, from the store and I got hit and now I'm in the hospital for six weeks or, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's that feeling of loss of control that is so difficult. And so one of the things that we can do is give back some measure of control by sharing information with the person. And so that type of information, it can be facts as we know them. If we know some fact, that's really helpful to share, but sometimes we don't, you know, somebody walks in to, to, to make a complaint. You don't know anything about that yet. Um, you still can share some information. So you can share the process going forward and it may seem really obvious to you. And like, why would I share that? You know, they, they've seen that they knew to come to me um, still it's very helpful for people to know that there's a process in place that's very calming to them. Mm-hmm. So you can share process, you can share values, which can be either your, your company's values or even your own values. You know, like we, we take complaints like this very seriously. You know, I take complaints like this very seriously. Those types of things can, can be very helpful. And even sharing what you don't know. Like you can say, I don't actually know what our process is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to have to do some investigation to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Even sharing that is helpful and calming to the person because they know something's going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. This person, here's what I'm saying, and there will be further steps taken. Mm -hmm. Step three is share. And then step four is empower. Um, and empower means give the person some sort of resources so that they can take next steps on their own. This is um, a step that I think is equally important for the person that you're talking to and for you yourself, because it helps you set boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we, we are not going to be able to, to help this person heal from the effect of whatever it is that they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. The best we can do is give them some tools and resources so that they can take those next steps on their own. Mm-hmm. And so that can be you know, this is where you can go to find out about telework options in our company or, or here's the number of the security office, right? So you just mm-hmm. give them some tools so that they can take some steps and that helps them gain some power as well. 
something else that people can, uh, resources they can give is if there's, you know, counseling available through your extended health benefits or, you know, however that works too. Like, how do you, you know, this is really tough for you. Let's get you in touch with some resources that can help you. Um, that's really important. And, you know, as a company, we provide this to you as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And actually on my website, I have a company website, which is blackbird-dc.com. Mm-hmm. And I have a little one pager of resources that I, I think I call it um, resources. Everyone should know if they work with people. <laughs> and so it'll have things like, how do you um, find a domestic violence shelter? Because mm. you just, you don't know if you're a manager, you don't know what's walking through that door. And um, it can be helpful to have some things at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good. It's good for an employer to have those things at their fingertips too, or an HR person. I'm sure hopefully they've got, you know, a stack of resources of here, the local domestic you know, violent shelters, here's the local mental health networks, you know, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the final step is return. And that's return to the person later on, check in, how you doing? Did, were you able to reach the, the resource that I gave you? Do you need something else? And also it's a return to ourselves. We have to acknowledge that hearing these stories affects us as well. And so we need to take a few steps to regain our own equilibrium, take Mm -hmm. care of our own mental health through this process. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a good thing too, because, you know, when you're in the process of trauma or even recounting trauma, you know, they say when emotional, when emotions go high, intelligence goes low, right? So it's, it's hard to sometimes absorb that, right? I know when I've been given bad news before, it's like, uh, uh, what like and a lot of the conversation just kind of disappears right so it's good to return to them and go okay are you, you know checking in and you know did you get this done is this okay here are the next steps that kind of thing because it's so hard when you're in that moment that that can just disappear absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. Yeah. okay great so and then your third point yeah so um you know i think it's really important that we talk about these issues as leaders. I think it's essential that we share that this is a value and a priority that we have a harassment-free workplace. But I think even more powerful is when we are willing to walk the walk ourselves. Mm -hmm. If we're asking people to open up and feel comfortable sharing something that they feel vulnerable about, it's gonna be a lot more effective if we're willing to talk about our own experiences as well. you know, a friend of mine is the VP of ethics at a a great big company. And that means that her role is to review complaints in the workplace. And she was talking one day with her boss and he was saying, you know, sometimes some of our um, employees, when they go to conduct these investigations, um, you know, if they're people of color, they are experiencing racism sometimes in these places when they themselves are doing investigations. And my friend who is a black woman, she said, well, yeah, you know, I'm not surprised by that. I, I experienced that myself. And he said, what? And she said, yeah. And she told him a story about something that had happened to her, you know, while she was at the company and, and, um, conducting an investigation. She flew to a new city and she got in kind of late and she stayed at a hotel. Um, So she gets into the hotel kind of late in the day and um, she goes to check in and there are all these signs up saying this hotel was newly refurbished, brand new um, renovation. So she gets her room, she goes up to the room and the room is disgusting. Mm. There is stuff dripping from the ceiling. There's like 
yeah the like wallpaper is peeling and she's like I thought this hotel was just renovated and so she goes back down to the front desk and it's really late and she's tired she goes back down to the front desk and she says is there another room this room is really not good and the guy at the desk says I'm so sorry we are sold out this is the last room we have and she says okay so she goes and she spends kind of a not great night mm. um and then the next morning she has to get up early and go to all day worth of meetings and then fly home but as she's walking um out past the front desk she sees that there's a different person at the desk and this time it's a black woman and she says let me just i just i have to ask so she goes up to the desk and she says was this hotel full last night and the woman said, we're never full on a weeknight. No, absolutely. We have plenty of rooms. And so my friend wow. shares her experience, you know, that she was told, you know, this was the room she got and the woman was horrified to know what room she had stayed in and um, that she had been told the room was sold or the hotel was sold out. And so um, the woman said, who was it who told you that? And my friend described the man and the woman said, that's our district manager. <gasps> and so my friend just, you know, they both kind of shook their heads like, yep, this is what happens. You know, this is what is what it's like to be a black person in America. Right. Oh my God. And so my friend just kind of wrote it off as like one of those things that mm -hmm. happens. And she wasn't even going to talk to anybody at work about it, but it came up in this conversation with her boss and he did two things. So first he called up their travel department and mm -hmm. had that entire hotel chain taken off the list of approved travel wow. for this giant company. Uh -huh. <laughs> and two, he said to my friend, would you feel comfortable sharing that story at a town hall? And she said, absolutely. Yeah, of course. And so she, my friend, who is the head of, you know, ethics at this mm -hmm. company that is the person who receives these complaints. She spoke to hundreds and hundreds of people all over the country to share this experience. And I mean, I think it's one thing to say we take complaints very seriously at this company. Yeah. <laughs> but instead to see the person who is going to receive my complaint has herself experienced racism. Mm -hmm. And this was the response by my workplace. Mm -hmm. I mean, that speaks volumes huge. How and much safer is she feeling, right? How much yeah. loyal how much loyalty has that boss just given like gained from that from that experience and that response? Like what like hats off like good job boss yeah yeah wow. absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. it goes so far and it's just so important being being congruent right so you know like these are my values and this is me actually doing my values, seeing my values out in the world and mm -hmm. and I take you seriously I mean I, I do investigations but I also do assessments too where I go in and open a safe space for people to talk and tell me what's really going on. And when people find out that their boss paid for me to come in to listen to them and what works and what doesn't in their workplace, they're like, really? My, my opinions are that important to them. I'm like, yeah. yes, yes, it is. And it <laughs> is like that in itself is just like the loyalty just from that is like, wow, they really value me. I'm like, yep. They want to listen to you. They want to know the truth. Yeah. So yeah, so good. So good. So walk in the walk and being congruent with your values is so important.
Absolutely. Awesome. Well, this, I feel we could go on and on forever, but we're getting close to time. Thank you so much, Catherine, for being part of the Harassment Free Workplace podcast today. It's been such a pleasure. In the show notes, I'm going to put everywhere where people can find you. And what's really exciting is you also have a podcast. Tell me just a little snippet about your podcast. Absolutely. The podcast is called The Empathetic Workplace. It is on the same kind of themes that we've been talking about and the themes of the book. It is on Anchor and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and wherever you go to pod. Excellent. I will put those links in the show notes as well. So go ahead and listen to that. Uh, The Empathetic Workplace podcast. I love it. I'm looking forward to it as well. Again, thank you so much for being here, Catherine. Thank you for the work you do in the world. It's so, so needed. It's such a treat to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thank you for joining us for the Harassment Free Workplace podcast. Subscribe now wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. And please spread the word. Feel free to send us feedback, questions, and suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear from. We'd love to hear from you. For more information on workplace investigations and assessments, please visit www.harassmentfreeworkplace.com. Till next time.